Hola. ¿Cómo está? Bien. Bien, bien. Ah, very nice to see you all. Uh, my name is Leon. I'm the lead pastor of Renovation Church, uh, and I'm very pleased and privileged uh, to be joining you for this unforgettable series. And uh, we've already had an unforgettable morning. I don't know if you heard, uh, but I preached so loud all the power went out. So, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it was my fault, but it was, it was really, really beautiful. It was really, really intimate uh, to, to worship. And I am uh, I know this may feel a little weird, but I want to celebrate the worship team. Uh, they handled that with such poise um, and, uh, and continue to lead uh, that entire time. And the congregation sang. It was beautiful. And, uh, and so uh, it was just incredible to see how we engaged that lack of technology. Uh, we didn't need it to meet with Jesus. Uh, so how did I get here? That's what, uh, that's what I got asked by several so I'll go ahead and rehash that. Uh, through a series of not-so-random events, uh, Pamela Heaton, I believe is how you say her last name. She is uh, Pastor Brad's executive assistant. Uh, apparently, she keeps up with the Village Podcast, Village Church, Pastor Matt Chandler. And uh, I just happened to be preaching there uh, at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas that weekend. And she saw me uh, preach there. And, and I believe she just decided, since y'all had Harvey here, uh, that we needed to balance out the little black guy with the big black guy. And, uh, and so, so they decided to have me come in. Uh, uh, prior to that, I had never heard of Northridge Church. They had never heard of Renovation Church uh, in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, but I can tell you this, uh, um, now this being my, my fourth uh, gathering uh, with Northridge. I love this church. This is a fantastic church. You are fantastic people. Uh, I've enjoyed being here. And... Uh, and honestly, I hope at some point to come back. That would be great uh, to come back and hang out with you guys again. Uh, today, this unforgettable idea that has wrecked my life, uh, and I hope it wrecks yours in a good way, uh, is what we're going to talk about. So if you have a Bible, uh, why don't you open it up to Luke chapter 22. You got a device, you can use a device as well. Uh, um, kids, this is how you text without getting caught. Uh, use it. It's toggle between the Bible and the text screen and, and, uh, and Twitter, and nobody knows the difference. And then if you are responsive to, uh, to this black preaching, then you can be like, mm, mm, while you're tweeting, right? <laughs> and look super engaged. So I'm going to give you the option to do that, but maybe I'll beat Twitter this time. Luke chapter 22, when you got it, say, I got it. All right, now, no half-stepping. I know y'all know how to talk back. I know you do. My church is about 50% Presbyterians, and I trained them to talk back. <laughs> so I know you can do it. Dig deep into those old Baptist roots. No. <laughs> uh, uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, we're going to start in verse 24. The heading says, who's the greatest? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them, the disciples, was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So that's how Jesus begins to ask, to answer rather their rather strange inquiry. But not so with you. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader 
as one who serves. For who is greater? He asked her a rhetorical question. It's a setup. Remember that. Jesus started asking questions. You're getting set up to get embarrassed. For who's greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? I imagine he did a dramatic pause here. (laughs) But I am among you as one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. Pray for me. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to ask for God's help uh, as we look at this beautiful and unforgettable truth today. Father, uh, you have visited us already in such a wonderful way. Uh, Will we continue to step into that? Would our hearts be tender now? Would you make our hearts tender to receive what it is that you have for us? Uh, to hear what it is that you would say to us? Uh, I pray now that you hide me behind your hand. <laughs> I am nothing more than a messenger. Uh, you are the transcendent one. And so would you now, in this moment, transcend our preconceived notions, uh, help us see past ourselves, give us mercy in this moment to unload our baggage right at your feet and hear what good news you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. That was all right. That was all right. We'll see. You know, pass the first test. We'll see how you do by the end. A little bit about myself that I think is important to this truth that we're about to uh, unearth here. For most of my life, most of my life, uh, I've had a love affair slash desperate battle with ambition. Uh, Oh, yeah, there it is. Somebody's tweeting right now. Mm. Uh, But I I have. Uh, I've had this, this desperate need burning inside of me, this little, this little seed of ambition. It's the seed that, 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 that drives to be great and to be well thought of and to, to, to elevate myself and, and, and climb over anybody in my way to get whatever I want at any time. It, it, it's deep inside of me. It's a constant battle. And it has been for a long time. It was ambition that drove me. Uh, to to titles in sports. It was ambition that drove me to the University of Oklahoma, ambitions that ultimately uh, uh, drove me to the NFL, an ambition to be great, to be well thought of, to be well known. And ambition isn't bad unless it's unredeemed. Now, how do you know if you have unredeemed ambition? Well, I'll tell you from my own life. Uh, There's nothing worse than being cut except being cut on ESPN before you've been told that you're cut. (laughs) True story. I'm at the house, had an injury, at the house healing, getting ready for training camp to go back to the New Orleans Saints for training camp. Watching ESPN, that's not uncommon. And all of a sudden, I see running across the screen, New Orleans Saints, Cut defensive tackle Leon's crump. How do I know 
that this seed, this ambition, this burning desire for greatness was, was, was unredeemed, was all-consuming, was driving me poorly. How do I know that? Well, because of how I responded when I saw that run across the screen. You know what I did. I began to praise the Lord. I sang songs to his name. I opened up my Bible and said, though they slay me a thousand times, Lord, yet I no. I threw myself onto the ground. I yelled some words that I should not have said and began to roll back and forth in agony. There's nothing worse than seeing a six foot five, 320 pound man roll back and forth on the ground. No, I began to crumble. I began to fall apart because all I could think about is what will people think and what will people believe and and now I won't be great and now I won't make all of that money. You know, they put it all in the back end of the contract. A little football knowledge for you guys. That's why guys hold out for their signing bonus. I should have held out. (laughs) Then I could make large donations because you know I'm this, that altruistic. Right? I began to think that, that, that what am I going to do now? This was the plan. This was it. This was, this was my climb to success. And it began to eat away at me. It began to eat away at my worth and my value because now all of a sudden this drive, this struggle, the hours of insanity, of training, of pain and anguish, to get to this great goal, to, to elevate myself as a, as a former player of the University of Oklahoma, which produces NFL athletes, to, to, to be that guy, it was suddenly gone. Why? Because that, that little burning seed, that, 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 that drive for greatness, that desire, that, that ambition couldn't be fed through that anymore. Now, here's the reality. As I tell that story, if you're honest people, and I believe you are, you look like honest people, most of you. You, sir, I just don't know about. No. (laughs) If you're honest people, this is not a me problem, right? This is a we problem. If we're honest people, then, then, then you know that the same desires that that arise in me, the same need to be thought well of, the same need to be elevated, the same need to to understand the hierarchy of the world and where I fit into society or, or for God's sakes, high school, that evil death trap of pain and anguish and humiliation. It's the same struggle. This desire for greatness, this desire to climb to the top of the corporate ladder. It's that ambition, that desire for greatness that, that, that drives us toward what school we choose to go to. Right? To be a mighty Wolverine or, or a wandering Spartan, you know. God forbid a Buckeye, right? No. No, that seed of ambition says I'll go to community college for 10 years before I go to Ohio State University and be a part of that tragedy. It's that seed of ambition that says I got to have this job. I can't have that job. I got to have this house. I can't have that house. 
I've got to drive this car. I can't drive that car. I've got to have this spouse. I can't have that spouse. You can drag it on and on and on and on and on and on and on into all of the little crevices and creases of our life where this thing demands satisfaction, driven by one question, how will this position me for the life that I desire? It's not a me problem. It's not a you problem. It's a we problem. It's a function of the human condition. It's a function of the human condition. It's, it, it's, it's almost like it's hardwired into our DNA. And as a matter of fact, it's the very thing that Jesus is addressing with his band of merry men here in this scene that we're about to explore. So let me set a little context for you. It's a little context. Uh, at the start of Luke 22, you read that Judas is about to betray Jesus. He's going to sell him for about $1,000. That's... That's what it would translate to in modern times. And moving out of that scene, they move into the Last Supper. Now, even for those of us who, 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 who may not consider ourselves Christians, we, we're all familiar with the Last Supper. It's one of the most famous scenes. It's, it's been in paintings. One of my favorite pictures of the Last Supper is, is Jesus with dreadlocks. You know, like, that's my favorite Last Supper picture. It is. I'm sorry. I can't get down with Fabio Jesus. It's too pretty. Jesus wasn't that pretty. I'll never leave you or forsake you. No, sir. No, sir. Please leave. I don't want that Jesus. So, so they're in the Last Supper scene, and Jesus does something incredible. He announces what he calls the kingdom of God. And here's what he says, that, that the kingdom of God is going to overturn the old order as these Jewish men understood it. You see, the way that they had grown up, they'd grown up with the Ten Commandments. They'd also grown up with 641 laws that had been added to the Ten Commandments. They'd also grown up believing that if they tried harder and they worked harder and they were better people and they did good things and prayed certain prayers and sang certain songs, that God would be pleased with them, that God would love them, that they could earn God's favor. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. In this scene, setting up the light, he says, no, 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 no. Uh, now that I'm here, I'm overturning that. You don't have to earn God's love. You don't have to earn God's affection. You don't have to live by these laws. God is going to look at you through me and see his beloved. Right? Amen. And in the midst of that beautiful scene, these fools break into the dumbest argument of all time. Of all time. Now, if you're a Bible person, then you know they've already had this argument back in Luke chapter 9. And they're bringing it up again. Now, you got to believe that sometimes Jesus was like, what is wrong with you? I prayed that God would send me the right 12, and this is what he does. Oh, man. So that's where we pick up. Verse 24, read it with me. It says, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, not that you're interested, but I think it's interesting that that word dispute there literally means a love of strife and contention. So it kind of sets this 
this scene against itself, right? You've got Jesus presenting this beautiful new reality, the, the overturning of the old system. You no longer have to earn God's love. You've just got to trust me. And at the same time, these people, these individuals, we'll call them individuals, have a love for strife and contention so much that they ask Jesus this foolish question, who is the greatest? Who will be the greatest? Isn't that that seed of ambition again, that, that, that desire I mean, you got to notice the language. Language is so important. They didn't say, who's going to be great? Can we be great? Will we be great? Are we, we going to be great? No, they were not satisfied with reaching their full potential. They had to know who was going to be great among them, who was going to be at the top of the food chain, who was going to sit at the top of the hierarchy, who could look down at the rest of them, who was going to be the lead dog, who was going to be number one, who was going to sit at the right hand of Jesus and tell the rest of these fools what to do. Why is that? Why did they have to be the greatest? Why did they frame it that way? Here's why, family, because unredeemed ambition unredeemed ambition always leads us into constant comparing and competition. Unredeemed ambition, unredeemed desire for greatness always leads us into constant comparing and competition. We're always looking around to see, uh, see who's doing what and how we can do it better. It's in our, it's in our nature. This, this is human nature. That's why you see these strange things happen in the suburbs. And in the city, I live in the city, and you see people with like a two-foot patch of grass fighting to see who's going to make that two-foot patch of grass look the best. There's only so many lawn ornaments that can go on a two-foot patch of grass. You can't keep one up in each other. You don't have any grass left. All I see is gnomes. No grass, just gnomes. Because there's something inside of us. We can't be satisfied just to reach our potential. We can't, we, can't be, we can't be satisfied just to be as good as we can be. No, something inside of us drives us to the point where we resolve that we've got to be better than everyone else. Now, if you're honest, if you'll be honest, you know that's inside of you. It's inside of me. Even now, I struggle with it. Can I be real? Can we be real, real for a minute? Even now, I don't want to have a great church. I want to have the best church. I don't want to be a good preacher. I want to be the best preacher, the best leader. I want to be the greatest. And those little whispers, those little lies rise up and try to create comparing and competition. That's why people who are not believers stand back and look at the church and say, I don't want to be a part of that. Y'all are supposed to be running together and y'all are running apart. Trying to be the greatest. There's something in human nature that is not fully satisfied with reaching their own potential. They've got to be the greatest. And that's what we see in the lives of Jesus' followers here. That after all that they've seen and known, all that they've seen and known with Jesus, he's turned water into wine. He's like, hey, yo, keep the party going, right? Turn water into wine. He's healed sick people. He's been done. And they're like, uh, so aside from you, because you're pretty awesome, I like that wine thing you did there. Who's going to be the greatest? It's almost unbelievable. But as soon as I look at it and I, and I, and I want to judge them, I look into myself and realize that I've got the same things going on. That we have the same 
things going on. But Jesus is not going to allow for that. You see, the gospel doesn't allow for that. There is no hierarchy in the gospel. There's no competition in the gospel. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross in the gospel. Despite race and class and culture and creed and dollar signs and degrees, we stand equal at the foot of the cross. And so Jesus, Jesus is not going to allow for that. Amen. He's not going to allow for that. And so he has to address it. So what he says first, we've already read it. He turns to him and says, the kings and the queens of the Gentiles, they lord over them. They lord over their people and are, treat, and are treated as benefactors. Here's what he means by that simply. That you don't even know what you're asking for right now. I'm talking about the kingdom to come. This new reality, this overturned system. And you've gotten it into your head that I'm talking about overthrowing Rome so that Israel can be a great nation like it once was, and you want to hang in the palace. The very thing you're asking for, you're already under. I mean, maybe he didn't say it that extremely. Maybe he said it Fabio Jesus style. You don't know what it is you seek. You know, I don't know how he said it. But the bottom line is he's trying to get them to see that they don't even know what they're asking for. In asking who's the greatest, you're saying that, that we want to reconstruct the very thing that we've asked you to overturn. We just want to sit at the top of it. And isn't that our nature? We rail against oppression. We rail against bad bosses. We rail against people trying to push us around until we become the person who can push and then the game changes. And so Jesus says, no. No. Not so with you. That's, that's, what, that's what he follows up with there. He says, not so with you. You're not going to be like that. I'm not going to allow you to be like that. Not walking with me. You're not going to live by that definition of greatness. You're not going to be one that seeks power to wield and power to overthrow and authority to, to elevate yourself. No, you're going to seek power to yield and power to humble yourself and power to lay down your desire for the benefit of other people. That's who you're going to be. That's who you're going to be. And then he defines greatness. He defines greatness for him here beautifully. Beautifully, beautifully, beautifully. And that's always been puzzling to me. I mean, maybe you got this before I did. I, I mean, I've had, I've had multiple concussions, okay? So I forget things. And I miss things, right? That's the most annoying thing I do to my poor wife. Baby, I can't find my keys. They're hanging right there. I don't see them. They're hanging right there. You know, when your wife talks through her teeth, you know you, like, you might be about to get hit with a pot. So just be careful there, fellas. So maybe you got this. You're bright people. I see that. You're bright people. But look what Jesus does here. After he reminds them that what they're asking for, they're already under, he doesn't rebuke them. 
It's quite amazing. I mean, it, it, because, I, because I'm all messed up and I have a wildly vivid imagination, I often imagine what it would be like to be Jesus. Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? Uh, hey, Peter, die. Come back. Still wonder? <laughs> you know? Eat your food. That's how my mind works. We having a meal here. I just explained the kingdom. Shut up. You want to try me? Stop breathing. Start breathing. Stop. Stop. That's what I thought. Eat your chicken. You know, that's, that's how my mind works. Kind of crazy. But, but he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't rebuke them. This is such a beautiful beautiful trait of the nature of God, that God doesn't deal with us how we would deal with us. God deals with us with incredible graciousness. And so instead of rebuking them, Jesus redefines greatness for them. Instead of rebuking them, Jesus Jesus refocuses them on what true greatness is. He, he turns their definition of greatness, you know, this constant climb and elevation over others, and he turns it on, on, on its head and he redefines greatness and he redirects them. And so in a sense, he's saying, we, we, can, we can preempt uh, uh, verse 26 with this question. Do you want to be great? Since you asked, do you want to be great? Well, here's how you can become great. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. He's just redefined greatness. And in that context, what he said was incredibly powerful. Let me tell you why. Because as a Jewish man in the first century, you would understand that being the youngest in that culture meant that you had no rights to anything. No rights. Zero. And so, for instance, if your father died and he left an inheritance, he would leave the inheritance to the older son. And the older son got to determine how that inheritance was dispersed among all the other children, if it was dispersed at all. So what is he saying there? You want to be great? Fantastic. Live like you have no rights. Lose your sense of entitlement. Live like you are owed nothing. That's true greatness. Not living as though you're entitled to something, living as though the world owes you something, living as though uh, you deserve it. And so you fight and you scratch and you claw your way to the top and you crawl your way to the corporate ladder and you walk over the dead bodies to get there. No, no, no. That's not greatness. Greatness is living as though you are entitled to nothing in this life, not even the breath in your lungs. That's what it means to be great. And then he goes further. Oh, yeah, I heard a little murmur. That would be an amen spot. That would be. Uh, try it. Mm. We'll, you know, we'll, do, we'll do a deacon hum together. Mm. That true greatness. Oh, so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's all right. But he goes further. He says, not only, not only should you be as the youngest, meaning that you live with zero entitlement, but you should... Be the best servant. That's, that's what true greatness is. That, that, you are, that you are the chief servant. 
that, that you are first in line to humiliate yourself. And, and we, don't, we don't really understand that word humiliate. We always see it as bad. No, what I mean by humiliation is just the active verb of humbleness. That you would be the chief servant. That you would be the first one in line to say, I'll do the dirty job. I'll do the job nobody wants. I'll do the thing nobody wants. I'll take that role on. I'll take that responsibility. Let me get that for you. Let me, hey, you know what? I've got it. That's true greatness. That's what he says. You know, one of my favorite stories, and, and, and again, I told you, I got, I got some head problems. So I don't remember the name uh, of the guy. It's an African president. Uh, and I don't remember the country. You know, maybe it'll come back if I bump my head again. You know, I mean seriously. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm joking, but it's pretty hilarious. Like I must have the hardest head ever. Like I fell out of a tree when I was ten. Like twenty feet branch fell on my head. Got up, kept playing. Uh, used to jump off my roof onto our trampoline, bounce off down onto the ground, hit my head. Kept rolling. Children, that is not a recommendation. Um, so I. I I really can't remember his name. I can't remember his country, but I remember the story because it's powerful. The way it was told to me is uh, this small African country, the streets were littered with trash. And if you've ever been overseas, if you've ever been to a, a developing nation, well, then you've seen this, right? I mean, I've been to Cambodia three times. I've been to Tegucigalpa. I've been to Nepal. It's very common to just see trash just littering the streets. I was just in Guatemala, uh, uh, in, in Guatemala City. There was trash just lining the streets in some places. There was a little bit of a public outcry, but nobody was doing anything about it. So he thought what he should do. And in one of the most unintuitive moves that you could ever think of a leader to do, the president of this country goes out on a Thursday and begins picking up trash. He just does it himself. Now, I don't know where you are politically. I don't know if you're donkey or elephant or somewhere in between, right? I don't know. But I think we can all share this sentiment that if a, if a news story uh, broke, we'll go in the middle, broke on MSNBC, some of y'all got that. <laughs> we'll go in the middle. <laughs> that the president of the United States was out picking up trash on a Thursday. Just out picking up trash. What you doing? Picking up trash. I felt that uh, it was necessary. Uh, <laughs> you know, just out picking up trash. Or any person of power. CEO of Coke, owner of the Lions, go Lions. Johnny Football got that, right? Got that beat down last night. I loved it. Just want to shake that kid sometimes. Uh, sorry, I digress. Any person of power that you can imagine, Sith Lord, you know, for us nerds in here, he's out picking up trash. Do you know the effect that that would have on you? On people in general? Well, you can imagine that, that soon after that, his staff began, began to pick up trash with him. And then the people began to pick up trash with them. And pretty soon, there was no more trash. 
Now, why is that story so powerful? Because he was the president of a nation. He could have written a law. He could have put out an edict. He could have stood up and given a, 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 a magnificent speech about why they should pick up trash and cast a marvelous vision for them to go out and clean up their trash. But instead, the most powerful man in a nation humbled himself to be the chief servant in a nation. And they followed his lead. That's true greatness. That's true greatness. And that's what Jesus said. You want to be great? You want to be great? Serve. Be the chief servant. Now, of course, human beings are a little bit thick-headed, right? Like, I mean, at least I am. That's how God deals with me. He's like, hey, son. Uh, Hey, son. Hey. You know. Okay. Oh, Oh, I got it. Okay, I got it. You know, so Jesus does the same here. He asks them this beautiful rhetorical question. I imagine because he's Jesus. He's digging around in their hearts. He knows that they haven't gotten it. He's redefined and and redirected their view of greatness away from this this view that, that elevates them and suppresses others toward this view that puts them in a servile position. But he knows that they haven't really, really gotten it. And so he asks this question. Beautifully worded, beautifully worded, and right on time. He says, for who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Now, now, again, I think you're bright people. You know what he's doing. He's already explained to them what true greatness is. He's already explained. Why, did, why would he even ask this question? Well, because Jesus just be doing Jesus. It's amazing. He's like, I'm about to get you, Doc. Here it comes. And, and, and what I'm going to say next, I imagine because of how he finishes this sentence. I imagine that, that, that when he asked that question, the disciples were like, uh, uh, well, uh, hmm. uh, let's see here. Uh, well, uh, so the scene would be that uh, uh, hitherfore, that to uh, they're sitting there, uh, you know, trying to come up with an answer. I mean, imagine if Jesus took you by the arm, he walked you to the nicest restaurant in Plymouth. There's a party going on in the back. Everybody's having a good time, wearing tuxedos, popping bottles. Translation, uh, uh, many people were drinking champagne to their fill. And you're watching the scene take place. And Jesus says, who's the greatest person in the room? The one drinking the champagne or the one pouring the champagne? The one laying back enjoying the party or the one waiting tables? And of course, under that old definition of greatness, which I I believe the disciples must have been locked into by how Jesus responds next. Of course, under that old definition of greatness, that hierarchical definition of greatness, that desire to suppress through our ambition definition of greatness, you would say, well, of course it's the people drinking champagne. I mean, that's what I believe the disciples said. Well, 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 it's the, you know, the ones reclining at table, right, Peter? You know, blame Peter for everything. But look what Jesus says, though. He says, but I, I, the Son of God, am among you as one who serves. The scriptures say elsewhere, 
uh, uh, Jesus himself says that uh, I, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. John 13, we see it enacted when Jesus, the, the, the son of God, gets down and washes the funky feet of his disciples. I mean, we laugh because we don't understand. Like, we get to wear fly boots and stuff. Back then, all they had was Jerusalem cruisers, some broken-down version of Birkenstocks, walking everywhere, walking everywhere, through animal and everything. Can you imagine the funk coming off of those feet? And they were fishermen. Could you imagine the funk? And the Son of God gets down to wash their feet. No, true greatness is redefined by Jesus. It's not being elevated. It's not being exalted. It's not being in a position of power or authority. True greatness is being the greatest servant anyone has ever encountered. That's true greatness. Amen. Now, now here's the beef with that. Here's the beef with that, the issue. I love you. Listen, I'm not making fun. I'm being serious. Our, our church is transcultural. We call it transcultural. It's about uh, uh, 55 to 60 percent, uh, what's the PC term, uh, Anglo-American, uh, um, and, and about 40 percent African-American and 10 to 12 percent everything else. So I often do dual translations. I'm here to serve you, right? So, so, so here's the beef with that. We don't really want that even though we agree with it. I mean, I'll be the first to raise my hand. I see that redefined definition of greatness, and I'm like, yeah, for everybody else. <laughs> we don't really want that. No, in our hearts, we want to be served. And, our, and, and when you're a pastor, man, you got it made because you can orchestrate other people serving other people. So you don't have to serve. You don't want to. That's some of the stuff that I find crudded up in my heart. I would rather arrange for somebody to serve you than serve you. That's the truth that fights against this unforgettable truth. We don't really want that. We accept it. We, we oorah, but, but, but deep down inside, we're like, yeah, that's great for everybody else. And particularly... For those of you in here who, who, who are not followers of Jesus, even you, if you're honest, even you resonate with this. But then comes the big question of how. How do we even begin to live this way? How do, how do we move into this way of, of thinking? Well, that's the beauty of the gospel. You see, in order to become this type of servant, this redefined type of servant, we first have to be served by Jesus. And here's what he did. He came and he walked the earth in perfection and humility. He, he, he never sinned. And, and the way that we define sin at Renovation Church is, is to love yourself and exalt yourself more than you love and exalt God. So then you choose yourself in all circumstances. Jesus was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, but he never chose himself. That's what Hebrews tells us. He walked in perfection. He preached grace and mercy and love in, the, in this coming kingdom. And they murdered him for. They murdered him for that. 
but he didn't go begrudgingly. He went joyfully to that death so that in that death, he could uh, uh, absolve and assume all of our desire to choose ourselves and replace that desire with a new desire and cover us in his righteousness. So much so that when God looks at us, he sees us through the lens of Jesus and he's perfectly pleased with us. That's the gospel. And so the good news about that, first, for those of us who, who, who wouldn't say that we're followers of Jesus, but this resonates with us, the, the good news about that is you don't have to earn it. All you have to do is ask for it. That if you want to be this type of servant, all you have to do is say, God, give me a new heart. Give me new desires. Make me, help me to desire greatness as this has defined it. And so we're going to do that briefly. Just for a moment, if you would, if you would bear with me, all of us. Can we close our eyes? We're going to pray, not out loud or anything. I'm going to pray a general prayer. You can follow along, but it's real simple. Follow along in your heart and your mind. And we're just going to ask God to do that for us. Father, would you do that? Would you give us a new heart? In this moment, right now, would you deliver us from desiring to choose ourselves at all times? Would you give us a desire to follow you and in following you, follow you into service? Would you make us yours today? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna tell you something. Take one step forward. If you prayed today for the first time to, for, for God to change your heart, for you to become that servant because you're just now becoming a, a follower of his, Take this card, fill it out. Fill it out and drop it in the boxes on the way out. And somebody's going to get with you to help you take that next step. Now, for the rest of us, for those of us who would say that we are followers of Jesus, that we are those who, who believe, but, but at the same time we know the truth about ourselves and we know that our deepest desire is to choose ourselves, guess what? That same good news is for us too. That same gospel says that we are forgiven every time we choose ourselves. That same gospel says that we can turn to God every single day and ask him to subvert our ambitions and ignite our desire to serve. That same gospel empowers us to live out this definition of greatness over and against the one that we've accepted for so long. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. After this moment, after this time, so that this doesn't just become some moment in space, I want you to get with somebody that you love, that you trust, that you know. And I want you to confess to them. Hey, I, I believe this thing, this, this definition of greatness by Jesus. But there are places in my heart that do not want that. There are competing factors that, that want me to elevate myself and subvert anybody else to get the life that I want. I want you to confess that to them. I want you to ask them to pray with you about that. I want you to pray together to hold each other accountable to living out of this definition of greatness. And here's why. 
Can you imagine a world? Can, let's start with a city. Can you imagine the city of Plymouth that every person who said that they believed in the name of Jesus lived with a heart so full of service that they could not be called anything but great? Could you imagine how this city would change? Could you imagine how this nation would change if the people who say they believe in Jesus became the greatest servants to ever walk the face of the earth? Could you imagine how the world would change? What a world of difference it would be. If we were those who decided in this moment that not for another minute, not for another minute will we live by a definition of greatness that says elevate yourself, climb to the top, crawl over everyone else to get the life that you think you desire. But rather, we were refocused by Jesus in this redefined notion of greatness to say we're going to be great. We're going to be great because we're going to be the greatest servants that the world has ever seen. In Christ, may it be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment in time, for this great grace that we've experienced here today together. Thank you for the gospel that frees me to believe that you are doing more than I could ever imagine in my wandering heart. Thank you for this unforgettable truth that true greatness is found in humility and in service, not in authority and exaltation. Thank you. Thank you that you will deliver us to live into this truth so that we will be the greatest servants the world has ever seen. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. It's been an incredible morning. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next time.